0: Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman. It is, I think, the second week of January. Maybe it's the third week. I don't know what time is anymore. Um, and I'm really excited to be back. We uh, sort of took a beat around the holidays, and I am excited to welcome Ife Michelle Gardine, the founder and director and Creative breath behind you know, Elm City Lit. I hate titles. Okay, <laughs> um the,
1: the, I, I, I'm the creator of Elm City lip Fest. Founded yeah. Elm City Lit Fest. But yeah, it, it, I always have a problem with 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 titles, but yeah, I found it. I created yeah. it.
0: <laughs> Re- can we say like Renaissance Woman? Are you cool with that? Oh, thank you.
1: Because I exactly. feel like good. it was born. Um. um it was born out of a creative renaissance
0: mm, mm. of, so, um,
1: yeah, arts in here and the community. Okay. Yeah,
0: I'm actually really interested in in jumping right in. So, um, Ife, you've been on this show talking about Elm City Lit Fest and Diaspora Con before, and we're going to talk about both of those. But I I want to go in the way, way back machine and talk about how you fell in love with literature, because... I think a, a lot of people know the work you do in the community, but they don't know the books that are closest to your heart. And I always love finding out. Um some people call it a spark bird. I guess in the birding community, like there's this thing. And and everyone has one or like 20, right?
1: Okay. Yes. <laughs> um so what it did it my my grandmother, Annie Huckabee, rest her soul who was a very, who was a very much of an educational and community advocate in New Haven and New Newhallville. Um, always had a lot of books um, and, and had, I don't know, and, and two of my aunts were teachers. So I was always, I always had a passion for literature, um, writing, I mean, um always had journals, writing in journals and uh, I, fell in love with, with the first time I well I read the classics. I grew up on like classic um like Jack London. <laughs> they, that's a classic. Um but always love old stories. Um Pride and Prejudice was a favorite. Um and uh what they did um the book that they did La Miserable on. for some reason that dark book.
0: I <laughs> I think it's also I, I, the Victor Hugo. I think it's also called Les Miserables. Um, yeah. Yes.
1: Okay, so that book. I mean, it was a lot of books. I always had a lot of books, but when I got to high school, um, actually discovered um, in at Hill House and discovered like black writers like um, Zora Neale Hurston, who as soon as I read her, I re- I like oh, amusing men. And then I just found everything. And then from now that I was um, a fan. My grandmother, I would turn me on to um, James Baldwin. And to Zaki Shange, who was very um, popular because for Color Girls came out But what a lot of people don't know. She did a lot of other, this is one of my favorite novels with her, Sassafras, Cypress and Indigo, about three sisters in the Caribbean. People should get it. Uh, And the all the Renaissance writers, like, like even like Gwendolyn Brooks poetry. Um, Oh man, Uh. (laughs) I did go get a bunch of books because I wanted to show what I'm reading now. Oh, this is one of my favorites too. Even though this is Zora Neale Hurston that just was discovered after her death. So there were many stories. Gene Tumor, of course, Langston Hughes. Stories, all of Langston Hughes stories, <laughs> um, and especially the the simple stories, they were mm. about real people. So that cultivated a passion in me for literature, and then um, I felt like books take you to another place and time and and peek into. Were other worlds. I mean, it was before we had like a lot of social. We didn't have social media when I was growing up. So like books were the escape and and writing. So I hope that answered.
0: And that. it it did. And so I yeah. I'm also always curious. You know, did you have teachers? It sounds like a a lot of this education, this literary education, happened outside of Hill House and outside of the New Haven Public Schools. But did you have teachers? Because I, like who who fostered that love? Because I found that in reporting on schools, it's so variable. Like some some teachers, you know, shout out um, Mindy Englert, who was at Co-op for years, who who really did like. She, she taught some excellent literature. Um, Judith Katz, who was also at Co-op, um, there are some teachers who make sure that they're bringing Baldwin, Morrison, Hurston, Tumor into the classroom, and then. There are some teachers who really don't, and and that's true right now in the New Haven Public Schools as well. There are people who, um, who graduate without hearing about the greats of the Harlem Renaissance.
1: I want to say, at in the seventies when I went to Hill House, um, no, I don't recall. Like English was the classics, <laughs> and I was a reader, so. I loved I went to, I, so I love reading, and I was fortunate enough also to be at Bowen peters and and mrs Peters at Bowen Peters, it was more than just doing rehearsing a dance. it was learning about the culture that of the dance you were doing. so it wasn't like, oh, you were just doing African dance. No, this dance is from Senegal, and the people from this tribe. Do that, do this dance when it's time for this. Um, this dance is from the uh the Caribbean and this in this island. So those kinds of things sparked curiosity in me. And I spent a lot of time in the library seeking stuff out. And I was again, like I said, fortunate enough between my grandmother and, and two of my aunts, they were very um, they were teachers. So I, I got a lot of my liter, a lot of my cultivation from them, love of learning from them, love of literature from them. Thanks to my Aunt Edie and my Auntie Elaine, shout out. <laughs> um, but also I went to Morgan State when I left Hill House. I went to Morgan State University, which is an HBCU, and majored in English communications. And then I really got to delve into um writers. um a lot of black writers and and learn about the plethora of things so that sparked even more interest and I've always been in my culture I know
0: also New York and your time in New York City played a huge role in you wanting to see something like Elm City Lit Fat and I, I feel like so often I'll hear this from someone in New Haven like I I love this city. I have deep, deep roots in this city. I saw this thing that I want in this city. And then no one else builds it. So you build it.
1: Yes. So, oh my gosh. And when the Bitsy Clark, when Betsy Clark was the director at the Arts Council.
0: <laughs> Shout out Bitsy. I just, Shout I, I Bitsy. feel like Betsy is, she is one of the most, um, I can't even think of the word like it's not steampunk, it's not rat. you know, she's probably like four, nine and eighty pounds, and she's one of the most badass women women I know.
1: Okay, um, but i I met with my my other grandmother, Hattie Turner, who was also an advocate for this city <laughs> um, and one of the coordinators of the first black Expos. But anyway. My grandmother was on the board for an organization called City Spirit Artists. And City Spirit Artists, yep, when it was the, when the armory was kind of still functional, yep, it was at the armory. Um, I have a newspaper article somewhere where they were bringing the Black Expo here in the 70s, right, way back when. So, Harry, you talking to us? Harry, right, good morning. Oh,
0: Harry, I think we got a little feedback.
1: Um, so, yeah, so my grandma's on the board for City Spirit Artists, and I worked with them for a while. City Spirit Artists was an organization before New Haven public schools had arts programs. City Spirit Artists, you heard of them? Have you heard of the organization? From you. I, I think oh, from okay. you and
0: also from Keith Cunningham. Was he involved? Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, city spirit artists put artists in the high schools to do projects, and then co op <laughs> um, came out of that. In New Haven, also for the the public school system, had a had an arts inter, in, uh, arts program or something where they hired artists to be in schools. So I worked through all of them th- to in those th- in those capacities. Um, doing creative writing classes do uh, with, in the high schools and stuff, and then just expressing my love for art. Then, getting frustrated. So, um, before I left one time, because mm-hmm. <laughs> when I lived in New York, I lived in New York in the 80s after high school and college, and I did work at, I worked at Essence Magazine for a while, and there was, um, and I worked at the Harlem Cultural Council, which was now it's like Harlem cultural alliance is big, but they were just starting out then and was able to help like organize a lot of stuff in Harlem. And I loved it because it was like a, a lot of my people, you know, it was like, wow, the, 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 the black people are running the things they're doing the living in their culture. And I'm every time I've come home, I wanted to sort of maintain that. I, I felt it more sense of it. I felt a sense of it at Morgan. And then when I was in New York in the eighties, and then I know I'm all over the place, I'm sorry, Jess. <laughs> um, then I also worked for uh, this uh, theater uh, theater company, the Frank Silver Writers Workshop. They used to produce, um, um, they used to, pro- they, then they still do produce emerging play emerging playwrights. And so I learned all about theater then. I I even um, at some point in there did a project with Crystal Emery. We did for colored girls at Albertus. Albertus had I don't know if they still do, but they had a nice theater space. Um, and we did for colored girls over there, did runaways at Lyman Center. I was uh, Crystal's stage manager (laughs) and assistant. Um, So I've done a lot of different things. And um, I believe it was 94, 95, Alita B. Taylor, um, who used to have um, black print books. And I did the Ife Tayo Festival, um, which was a celebration of arts and culture of the diaspora in Bowen Field. And Bitsy was the Arts Council president, and she supported us in in that effort, and brought over. Because it happened, I think, in August, right after like Yale freshmen came. So she she actually brought over a bunch of Yale students <laughs> over to field to the festival. We had drummers, we had Sherry Caldwell dancing, we had every every the the artists that were um the the artists of color that were around at that time was sort of splintered so Alita and I was like we're going to pull everybody together and do this arts festival and it was really nice and we had vendors out there it was it was wonderful um yeah so I and and in that time I did work at co-op so I got a little frustrated about like how do we have every time I go to the arts events um or do a class or something or look at looking at the arts organizations at that time in the 80s in New Haven, um, everybody, the majority, of everybody was white, right? And um, so, and when I would spend that uh, probably 10 years in New York in the 80s, it was like, oh, this is happening. And then I came back here for a minute, which was supposed to be for a minute because I was going to actually move somewhere else. I wasn't sure where. Um, I stayed and that's when, like I did co-op and more and um, doing some arts things, doing little things, Kwanzaa celebrations. I used to have Kwanzaa celebrations in my home. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had the opportunity. um, The opportunity came up for, um, at Long Wharf when Doug Hughes was there. When Doug Hughes had just came on and and uh Michael Ross, um they uh for a house manager. So I was like, oh, I could do that. So I applied for the job. <laughs> and I got it. Um and that was actually I guess from my experience from Frank Silvera Writers workshop, I guess I was like, okay, I can do this. But um had a very good time there. And while I was there, because I had the keys, I asked them like, well, when we're not using stage two, can we, cause I had been doing, by that time, um, my daughter was five, Raven was five or six. So I was like, or well, maybe older than that. Um, yeah, she was about eight. Um, Anyway, um, I said I wanted to do a Kwanzaa celebration there. I did that. Oh my gosh, and now it's coming to me. Prior to that, I worked at the Schubert before it was Kappa Schubert as a um, community liaison. <laughs> I think it was their first ever. And Ruth, um, I can't remember Ruth's last name, who was the education director at that time. Um, we worked together, um, bringing in um, diversifying the audience for the Schubert. And our dear friend, do you remember Paul Hall? The wonderful dancer Paul Hall. Um, Paul had a dance company. His first solo, his first comp- company's first performance was at the Schubert, on the Schubert stage. And um, when he passed away, I uh, organized a very wonderful tribute to him in the Schubert lobby and helped raise some money for his um, his going away celebration. So I got to do a lot of things over the years,
0: <laughs> and that, like okay, so fast forward, fast and I forward. I feel like I got to see the seeds of Elm City Lit Fest when you were like I, I want to do this thing, and there was a book club, there was a a little book club, small and mighty, Ooh. in the police substation on Whaley Avenue, right?
1: And so that kind of go ahead.
0: Oh, and and I, I remember you brought people together to talk about uh, Jump Lahiri's The Namesake, which I think was the NEA Big Read book right, right. that summer. So um, if folks aren't familiar, the National Endowment for the Arts does this thing called The Big Read, where you're supposed to just have people rally around a book, actually, which is a very cool thing. Um, but I remember you saying at the time, like, I really want more of this. I want more of a celebration of ga- like gathering around, amplifying and lifting up black and brown writers ac- across different diaspora or diasporic
1: traditions. Oh, the diaspora, yes. so yes. So flash forward to, cause I, I had also moved back to New York in uh, 2012 and um, had to come back in 2018 to care for my mother. And because I had worked for arts organizations in the past, even arts and ideas in the (laughs) beginnings, I wanted to create something, my passion for literature and also uh, um, going on the fact that a lot of black literature I wasn't introduced to completely until I was in high school and college, to everyone because I'm like, people probably don't, don't have these in their, in their thing. So actually that book club was through, um, thank you. Shout out to the Welly Edgewood Beaver Hills management team. <laughs> I was on my, I was went to the management team and I was like, I want to do, I, I came up with the idea. I want to do a book festival. The book festival idea actually, um, I presented, I just did a PowerPoint. I was like, I'm going to do this. I know how to get this. I'm organizing a whole lot of things. I know I'm going to do this. So I was in the NLP program at the Community Foundation, Neighborhood Leadership Program. And we had to do a project for our bigger project. So that book club, I was like, how am I going to start getting people interested in a book festival? I'll start a book club. So um, put the word out in my management team. (laughs) And that book was just coming out and it was a wonderful, it's a wonderful book um, to start with. So there you have it. I got it. <laughs> we had the book, um, the book club, which was very, even went virtual for a while. And um, yeah, then the, then started planning the, the moment building that built momentum for Elm City Lit Fest.
0: Right.
1: To, to begin.
0: And- you know, you have constantly, I, I think this is true for a lot of artists and folks in the arts, like you innovate and you hustle because that's what artists have always done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when COVID happened, artists were like, well, the the spit hit the fan uh, big time, but it's not the first time, right? And so we're just going to innovate and we're going to figure out how to do this. And so I've, I feel lucky to have seen Elm City Lit Fest sort of do all of these pivots, not specifically uh, because you wanted to, but because you had to, because there was a time that we couldn't gather in person. And I'm interested, you know, how you feel about the growth of the festival now as it's entering this fourth year. And, you know, off when we were off mic, I was sort of joking, like, it's not a toddler anymore. It's its its own person. It has opinions. Uh, hopefully it's out of the no phase. Okay.
1: But- okay. Oh. This is the thing. This is the thing. So I'm planning this festival for April of 2020. And um in March of 2020, <laughs> everything shuts down. We had all these things planned or everything in place. And so um I, I I was blessed enough. Um I feel like um because uh Kevin Ewing, Rev. Kev was a facilitator for the NLP program and um has Baobabchi Studios podcast studios and said let's do it virtually. I was like yep, let's just plan that. So our first festival in covid <laughs> was um September 2020 in virtu- virtually. And it was two days and it was wonderful. It was like it was actually we were actually able to expand the thing. And and so and I also was doing a bi-weekly podcast, talking to authors, um, and many authors that were near and far, that, you know, it just it just made it like wow. So 2021 comes, <laughs> things are opening up. And yeah, then we like found a spot. Behind Dixel Plaza and had it there. And it was a bus. It was like, whoa, wait, not a bus, but the bomb. Like, folks came up. I was so grateful. I so people were so interested. Um, the book talks and the authors and the poets and the entertainers were exposed because it's about getting, cultivating awareness of the talent of the literature. And I have to say, an art and a literary artist. And I have to say, too, that in the time that I've done it, um, uh, connected with like the literary festival in Hartford, Hartford's Lent. You know, I'm still uh, this year, we're, um, I may jump it ahead, Uzi, <laughs> but um, this year we're uh, partnering with um, Jamaican American Connection we're going to have um, literary art, um, Caribbean artists, literary artists of the diaspora. So it's gonna be a Caribbean theme. We're gonna be <laughs> getting folks out there um, and in touch with um, a lot of Caribbean writers. So, and hear their stories.
0: I also think people don't specifically know, I actually was having this um, conversation with an artist who lived in New Haven for a couple of years because she was at the Yale School of Art, but unfortunately her her time at the Yale School of Art intersected with the COVID pandemic. So she was really in her apartment for a lot of it. Um, But we were talking about how she didn't really connect with the Jamaican, she's Jamaican American, Jamaican American community here in New Haven. And I said, well, there is one. And I, I so wish you could have experienced that when you, and like, I know you're just in Brooklyn. So maybe come back for a weekend. You know, we, like we have that in our city and and New Haven is such a culturally vibrant place. Um, So I'm excited to hear more about Elm City Lit Fest. I'm just going to very quickly remind people, if you're just joining us or you've been hanging out with us here, this is WNHH LP 103.5 FM New Haven. It's arts respond. I'm Lucy Gelman, and I'm here with Ife Michelle Gardine, who hates titles. So we're going to say that she is a Renaissance woman, who in no small part is responsible for the existence of Elm City Lit Fest, which has made New Haven. I think it's safe to say has made New Haven a more exciting um, and vibrant place to live. So it's true. <laughs> it it really is true. Um. So. Before we talk about LitFest, which is happening in early September of this year, I I keep thinking it's next year, but we are, in fact, in January. There is also DiasporaCon, which is a fairly new intervention that is taking place in April, April 22nd of this year. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about building that, um, because I'm really excited that I don't have to flip all the way to the Brooklyn Academy of Music to um to get my superhero fix in, especially when I'm thinking about superheroes across the diaspora.
1: So yes. So DiasporaCon came out of um, so we we've also been fortunate since um uh, my old friend and our in in our uh, one of our gems historians of Connecticut, Dr. Bill Foster, um who is like has like cart- black cartoons and and comics from way back, and he can lecture on forever he's been he's a good friend and he's a supporter of lit fest has been a part of every lit fest <laughs> in some capacity um we um in the pre twenty twenty one we did a segment or our first actually the first lit fest we did a um virtual segment. On on black cartoons and and comics and graphic novels, and in do in finding out and doing the more research on my own, and then getting all this information from him. I'm like, wait, this is a whole movement. We have to do something about this. And then finding out about all these cons conventions that are happening, and um, with the on with coming on with Black Panther coming on and all these Marvel comics and things like that. Looking at the opportunities for people of color in the indus- industry. So, DiasporaCon is actually a conference and not so much a convention um, to highlight opportunities um, for, for young people that are in design, like, are writing stories or in creating their own characters and. Things like that. So to see, like, this is actually something you can make money. On. <laughs> like, you know, and we have also Michael Jai White Studios, who is go. They're going into publishing and doing things. So DiasporaCon came out of that. We were, and we were blessed last year for the first DiasporaCon at Quinnipiac. I think we had about a hundred people, in 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 mixed intergenerational. And people stayed all day and it was like, wow. And it was full. It was full of really comprehensive information and um, and just wonderful. And again, most of the people were, yeah, all the presenters are from Connecticut. Like within our state, we have so much to, to offer. Um, we have a publishing company. We had Raheem Nelson did um, um, NFTs, which was like, people were like, what? And asking him all kinds of questions because people hear about something and then they don't know what it is. And then um, Reggie Augustine, who who teaches art at Hill House, and he has his own comic book and series. So we had a plethora (laughs) of information and it went very well. And and the fact that people young and old stayed, um, we were like, oh, we gotta do this again. And Quinny in the in the space at Quinnipiac is perfect. So it's it's more we would like people to come, you know, if dressed up, but it's a, it's really a conference. Because we I really, it's important, legacy is important for me and in, in showing people what their future could be or what they want to do or not feeling like because I came up in a time where like art was for rich people, but for people of color it was a struggle. And and people were starving artists or something like that. And now we have living artists and we have that is their lifestyle. <laughs> Creativity is their lifestyle. Um and I'm I'm happy that we I started Litfest in the renaissance of that. Cause that's why I felt like it was the time was right also back in 2019 20 when I was developing it to that there's a renaissance of creativity happening all throughout the city. We have Black Haven the film festival that started up as well and we have like like arts and ideas has expanded into the community as as, as well as globally, right? Um and just all all the arts organizations evolving and it's a it's a good time it was a good time for I I felt like so
0: yeah yeah I I would love to know a little bit more um you know how you're feeling about this current moment in New Haven because I think some people um get really like starry-eyed when they're thinking about the 70s and the 80s um and 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 there are things that didn't exist you know the I'm so happy that the Q house has now reopened its doors, but for a long time, that, that was a void in the community. And so I want to acknowledge that. And, and then also say, you know, for you, what is this Renaissance looking like? Because I, I think it's also true. Um, there are a lot of arts organizations that maybe five years ago, um, didn't have the same leadership that they have now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also just like, we're not doing work around, um, compensating not just compensating artists fairly but especially compensating artists of color fairly and actually I think thinking about that within their mission um and it's exciting to me as someone who writes about the arts in New Haven and consumes a lot of art to see certain organizations not all of them I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. side-eye anyone uh, during the show but um but but to see organizations really like grappling with their history and also thinking about, okay, how are we, how are we paying artists? So um, for instance, I was so excited to see the work of Joelle Thompson, who is a young black composer um, at NHSO NHSO, who also presented in conversation um, with Nye from BAM Books, shout out BAM Books. If you do not know, uh, about Nye and about BAM. We'll drop that in the comments um, under this interview, just because she is wonderful and you should absolutely support her. But they were in conversation with each other talking about music and Baldwin. Um, and, and so I think um, I've seen a real interest in the intersection of different arts at LitFest as well. And I'm wondering if that's something you're excited about.
1: I I am excited. So <clears throat> And I also wanna say, I've been going to book festivals for years. So the Brooklyn Book Festival is one of my favorites. It's a takeover of downtown Brooklyn. It is a destination event. Um, And then there's a Brooklyn Caribbean Book Festival that happens in different spaces around. Um, There's the Black Writers Conference at Maker Evers College. So these are are things that when I, in the times that I lived in New York, in the 80s, 90s and the two thousands that I wanted to the Harlem Book Festival, that I would be at these things too, and I see people from New Haven sprinkled in, like running this might be like, oh wow. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, but that that's also where the the idea for like New Haven and thinking about okay, New Haven has a festival, they didn't have a book festival. So that that part, but also. Because of my experiences um, early on in the eighties and nineties with some of these arts organizations and understanding that they're run, you know, the Connecticut is segregated. It's just it's just that's just it. And and there's even though we're a fairly democratic state, there's still the haves and the have nots. And the haves um Sometimes don't they might want to be benevolent <laughs> and contribute to 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 the um, the people people of color or do or get, or present opportunities. They want to do it on their own terms, <laughs> right? And, and artists of color have it um, get underserved or get uti- get utilized but not compensated. Um, What am I trying to say? You know, later for (laughs) it. No, I I think you're right. It's like um, people are like everybody's doing this diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and it's not their life. They may do it for a job or they may do it because they're on the board of a particular arts organization and it makes them feel good, but it's not really genuine. Um, Doing some work for a small organization now that is is a is a white older white thing <laughs> and um they have this program that's beneficial and is potentially can be well for young students of color and I, I, there there's a disconnect about how it's going it's like we're doing these kids a favor, so they have to, you know, let's do like you can't say, I want diversity, equity, inclusion, or I want to have this program for these people of color and understood or and you want know, to, talk about and then impose your way of white people can't tell black people how to how to experience what they experience, right? And so they're saying, but this this we need to do this and we need to do this. It's like, no, you don't understand. I know how to work with my people. And then there's duality on the other side of that. There are artists and there, there are Black artists. There are artists of every color, Hispanic, whoever, who it's important for them to have community within themselves, but also find people to support them because they're feeling like, they're, you know, uh-oh, they're going to ask me to do something for free. No, it takes, it takes money to create something. You got to put value on it. I've done a couple of artists... Um, uh, statement workshops for at art space, right? Um and a lot of a lot of artists of color don't even think that statement, you know. And I've been in places in New York and and met artists and people in New York that do that, but they have their own community. So we're building community here, but we're still doing it in the midst of the segregation.
0: Um but yes, I I think that's true, Ife like um that's I, I think that's something I see a lot and a couple, I've heard a couple of people say it, there's a tale of two New Havens. And I feel like there's a tale of like 15 New Havens.
1: Depending on where you are. Yeah. Cause the New Haven, New Haven is different than the mm-hmm. Newhallville, New Haven, mm-hmm. then Westville, New Haven, then, you know and I've heard people even say, oh, well, well Westville got their arts district. We need to do the Like, you don't, it's not a competition. Mm-mm. that's yeah. how I feel it's not a competition it's about everywhere you go in this town or or anything you bring to do in this town is it's about how how we can better each other how can we cap- collaborate to make the the whole a better place because when yeah. you go to the places when you go to New York Manhattan neighborhoods are different mm-hmm. <laughs> different vibe everywhere when you go I loved where I lived in Bed stuy in Brooklyn, I love the vibe there, but I love going out to Flatbush and feeling like I was in the Caribbean. I you know, I like going down to Prospect Park, and it's just we have the diversity, but again, the segregation, and it's throughout the state, you know, but we're one of the major hubs in in New Haven, in, in Connecticut. So why not make it more enriching? And so more the renaissance is happening because more people are becoming aware of it there are still people that are not fully embracing it they may be in their mind but if you're not you if you're used to having people of color be your subordinate or or clean your house or do things and then you have work you do work with somebody of color or you're at the same level or you have to hire the you're not if you have to hire an artist you're thinking from your framework of the people that are servants to you if (laughs) if you have a if you oh I have this pocket of money I want them to do this program because I think it'll help it's like being a it's a colonizer mentality that you don't even realize you don't people don't go into communities saying um what, what I'm saying, no, people don't, people do, people go into community saying, okay, I have this money, I want you to do this program, because I think it'll help you. Do you know the people in the community? Why are you doing this? I did that, Um, I did a program also when I was planning Lit Fest at Dwight Hall, and Dwight Hall has a, like, a program, community program, some similar to NLP, where they fund ideas, right, and so, Some of the, and there's a lot of students are in that program. Now, those students come to Yale and they're told, stay within these gates. Stay in the bubble. Don't go past the Marriott on Whaley, even though you gotta go grocery shopping at Stop and Shop. Even though if you're a student of color and you need a haircut, you gotta go up Dixel Avenue or Whaley or somewhere to get your hair cut, to get your hair, like, why are you telling these students, not to you're right, dead center in the city. Like I call Yale the plantation of New Haven because it's pretty much like hires a whole lot of folks from New Haven, and then you tell, and then these kids are in this school, and they're probably treating the the people that are the the maintenance people and the cooks and all that. They're probably treating them like crap, but then they they get to their junior or senior year or even in grad school and they want to do some community project. Well, and they don't understand why they can't get any community help. Well, did you ever think that, you know, that the person that was in working in the cafeteria that you ignored or that you said something bad to, or or made a mess for them to clean up? Did you ever think that their child might go to the school that you're trying to have a relationship, that you're trying to do something for? So when that person sees you outside, you don't recognize that person outside of work. And that's the other thing. There have been several times (laughs) in attending these different arts events that the same uh, board members or Contributors to the arts, white people have said to me, "Oh, like I've been introduced to you. If I if I've been introduced to you three or four times and you still can't remember me, then you don't see me, right?" And so when these thing kinds of things happen, and it's like you're what you're imposing is your version of what people of color need when you don't know people of color when you ignore people of color. So it's important for us as people of color, and we're used to doing that. It's and it, it's it's a global thing. It's a culture of the United States, pretty much, of colonization, right? And so a lot and a lot of us are so used to it that we are just like, oh well, here we go again. And um, there's some of us that are a little bit revolutionary and want to do like we're gonna do our own thing and stand out how we can and do what we can. <laughs>
0: That was a long yeah. but, no i I love it, and do you feel like um i'm I'm mindful and i I have one more question after this, but do you feel like that's changing because I feel like there is more I mean I so I've lived here for about ten years i I was coming from Detroit where I grew up um and do you feel like there's there is more pushback because i have i've I feel like I've seen from Yale students, so not Yale administration more pushback? Against the fact that um, there is like this institutional mentality of New Haven is this resource that you can extract things from and that you can go into if you're a student at the School of Drama and you can, you can do character development based on the people you meet in New Haven. And I've seen more, um, I think more like meaningful pushback from students who are like, no, that's messed up. I'm not going to do that. Not from all of them. do you do you feel like you are seeing that change or or maybe not so much?
1: I feel like I'm seeing it in, in some ways, yes. because there we had now have more students. I feel that I've met a lot of students that choose to come back here or remain here. Like Tochi Onyebuchi, who was um, who graced us with his presence, also did a talk at Litfest and has two best-selling, well, a few books out and, and um, best-selling books, right? And he lived all over the world and in New York and decided to come back to New Haven and make that his base. So in, in there, and I've also learned in Plan of Lit Fest that throughout Connecticut, we have Gems. We have Marilyn Nelson, and uh, who is a former um, Connecticut Poet Laureate and internationally known. And we have Antoinette Brimbell who is now the Connecticut State Poet Laureate and and a, a I met her actually at a poetry workshop in New York in about 2015 or 16. It was like oh you're in New Haven you know and and we we developed a friendship from that and shout out to um them to Marilyn and Antoinette um we're gonna have an event at Possible Futures tomorrow. <laughs>
0: I know I'm going to be there. I'm so excited. we um
1: having a uh, poetry and art brunch, um, Everyday Angels, which is a um, uh, sculpture artist, Linda Mickens, um, is, has done a series called Everyday Angels, and they're beautiful, beautiful sculptures. And um, her son, Ahmad Mickens, which we also had at Lit Fest because he got a food truck Beyond the salt that has really good bowls, like it's so
0: good. It's yeah, it's, <laughs> the food it's, is so it's, good. Yeah, it's so good. That's so, another whole
1: show. Yes, yeah, so, so we're gonna have a poetry and art brunch at Possible yeah. Futures. and I'm so excited about that. And then we have doing we're doing collaborations, like like that's the other thing. Like we have to collaborate throughout, like Jamaican American connection. I'm grateful for the friendship and envision of of Korean wholeness
0: mm.
1: in that. And then we have some other conversations with other people coming up about how we can collaborate more.
0: Awesome. Um I I feel like I could keep you on for four hours and we could just keep talking. So that means I definitely have to have you back on. But my my final question is what are you reading right now? Oh,
1: um, okay. Well and would I, you recommend it? I Stacey Abrams, lead from yeah. the outside, and um, and all about love. Um, I I'm rereading this because it's just and you can see my little tabs. And <laughs> I've been reading books and with there's gems in them, I put tabs. That's that's how I read. I have to because I'm not. I found that I can't remember every word all the time, but I know it's like like that was said in this book. So yes, so these are these are what I'm I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Ife um, Michelle Gardine, I want to thank you so much for coming on Arts Respond today on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven. Um, I'm going to have to have you back on because I just want to keep talking. Um, and I will see you tomorrow morning. If you are not coming to Possible Futures, you are missing out. Um, if you have not gone to Lit Fest. it's or- sold out too. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Um, <laughs> you're probably still missing out, but I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, if if you have not gotten your butt to Litfest, you're doing New Haven wrong. So um so keep your keep your eyes out for collaborations that Elm City LitFest is involved in. And thank you as always to Harry Droz, the man behind the controls, for making this possible. Harry, we appreciate you. Ife, I appreciate you. Everyone have a beautiful weekend. I know it's gray and rainy, but um find some joy somehow. Thank
1: you.